You've heard the acronym KISS, right? K-I-S-S. It means keep it simple, silly, or something like that. Well, I want to keep it simple for you today in this podcast. If you are discipling someone, I want you to share the article that I'm going to share with you in this podcast, or you can share the podcast with the person that you are discipling. You will find no better counseling, discipleship advice than what I am going to share with you. I have a lot of information here, so I'm going to jump right in it. If you do want to read the article, please go to our website, rickthomas.net. It is titled, The Simplest Counseling Advice You Will Ever Receive. K-I-S-S. Keep it simple, silly. And I am Rick Thomas, and if you want to chat with me about this or something else, please go to our website, and you can find me there. I'm in my cyber home all the time, and we are as easy as pie to get in touch with. Our team, myself as well, will be ready to respond to you with whatever questions that you may have. Go to rickthomas.net. Get your username and password. That's what you're going to need Make sure you're logged in, and then if you're not a supporting member, well, that's fine. That's all right. Go to our community forum and ask your question. There's no cost for that, none whatsoever, and it would be our joy to serve you. If you happen to be supporting our ministry, thank you for doing that. Kelly, thank you today. Uh, for uh, supporting us at $5 a month. I couldn't get it out. I'm grateful that you are supporting our work. Also, Jane, thank you for your $100 donation. You are also a annual subscriber to our ministry. And in addition to that, thank you for your $100 donation that came through today. Matthew, thank you for supporting us. David, thank you at $5 a a month. The same for Andrew, the same for Janet, and the same for Anthony. Marcy, thank you for your $25 a month recurring uh, support. And Carenza, thank you for your $5 a month support. And Christine, thank you for your $5 a month support. There are many more. You are the ones that, well, quite frankly, it's because of you that we are able to serve so many people who come to us freely, and we want to keep it free. Free is always in quotation marks because nothing is free, truly. Even the gospel is not free. It cost a man his life. And our ministry is not either. We have bills to pay, and we have supporters who support us. So thank you, the few that I mentioned, and, and the others as well. Let's get into this. This is the simplest counseling advice you will ever receive. When I completed my BA in theology program in 1990, my pastor asked me, hey, Rick, what did you learn from four years of studying the Bible? Now, that's not the question that I expected him to ask me when we were doing a debrief after my graduation. I thought it was an odd question, and and honestly, I did not have a quick answer or a smart one. I wanted to have a smart answer. I wanted to impress him, to be honest with you. And I remember standing with him, trying to come up with something profound. After a few minutes, I had nothing. 
I thought about dozens of classes. My hermeneutics class, which I really loved. The Gospel of John class, which was fantastic. The Bible geography class, where I made, I made I'm not sure how many maps, uh, maybe 40 maps that I drew, that I sketched out of Israel and the Holy, the Holy Land and, and all of the uh, geography that's tied to the Bible. I had map after map after map and used colored pencils, and actually it was quite impressive, if I say so myself. And then I thought about the homiletics class, and there were dozens of other classes, and I'm thinking that there's too many classes, too many years to consolidate down to a tweet. 128 credit hours is what it was, and it was impossible. And then it hit me. Like a bolt of lightning against a clear night sky, this is what I told my pastor. In four years of training, are you ready for it? Here it is. After all the years, all those lectures, and a mountain of work, the thing I learned and the thing that I came to cherish most of all after all that training were two things. Here they are. Read your Bible every day. Pray every day. That was it. It was not profound, but it was transforming. And after I told my pastor what I had learned, I felt a little embarrassed because I knew these two critical things before I left for college. Ironically, I got all that education and came back with those two nuggets. I was doing those things before I left for college. I learned a lot of things in college, but if you were to call it down to, to two things. Those were the two nuggets that impressed me the most about four years of theological training. And here I sit all these decades later, and I am more convinced, listen to this, I am more convinced than ever of the truth of those two things. Not only have I seen the benefit of them, when I do them, but I have seen the detriment to my soul. I've seen the detriment to my relationships when I do not practice these disciplines. And if you missed it or if you've forgotten already, let me repeat the two things that I've learned through four years in a BA theology degree. Number one, read your Bible every day. Number two, pray every day. Two of the most common traits that I have seen in a person struggling in his sanctification, or a woman for that matter, it doesn't matter, I'm using the, the male gender here, but two of the most common traits that I've seen in a person struggling in his sanctification is his lack of regular transformative Bible reading and consistent time in prayer with his father, it is exceptionally rare ever to counsel a person who is struggling in his sanctification or struggling with others in his relationships and find he has a disciplined time with his creator, prayer, and a disciplined time in God's word. Now, I know that there are outliers. I know that someone will write and say, 
I struggle. I struggle mightily, and I read my Bible every day, and I pray every day. I understand that, but that is exceptional, and that's why I I led this paragraph by saying it is exceptionally rare to counsel someone who is struggling in his sanctification or struggling with others and find he has a disciplined time with his Creator and God's Word. The next time you're helping someone, here's what I want you to do. Ask them to describe to you their prayer life and their Bible study time. Ask them to be specific. Don't ask them if they pray every day, read the Bible every day. Don't ask them if they have prayed or read their Bible this week. Ask them to give you the details of these disciplines for how it went with them today. And then ask them how it has been going with them this week. I promise you that the overwhelming response that you will receive from folks will be sparse to non-existent time with God or His Word. If you attempt to disciple someone like that, but you neglect to appeal to that person to change his relationship with God through prayer and with God's Word through Bible study, your discipling will not work because you'll get the cart before the horse. You'll not be able to help him until he decides to make these two changes if they are absent or if they are sparse or inconsistent in his life. And you will see that. You will see the change, and that change that will happen in that individual will be evidenced by him going to the solution giver for his problems. Think about it. If he's not going to the solution giver through prayer and God's word, he's not going to find solutions. If he's not been going before the Father through prayer and through Bible study, your counsel will turn into legalistic suggestions that will not sustain him. The kind of counseling that you give to people who aren't willing to consistently pray and read the Bible is self-help principle-driven, behavioralistic things that the world does. He might as well go to Barnes & Noble or, or go to Amazon and, and order a self-help book and read it because that's all he's going to get because he's not hooked up to the solution giver through prayer and through studying God's Word. Only God can sustain you. And if you're not going to him for your daily sustenance, you need not expect your life or your relationships to be transformative. What makes Christian counseling and what makes Christian discipleship radically different from our culture is our privilege to be connected to the source of life and change. You don't want to lay down your soul care over a prayerless person who does not read his Bible regularly. If so, there's a strong chance you may become frustrated and he won't change the way that he could. Jesus said it this way in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Listen to this last part. For apart from me, you can do 
nothing. Jesus was not stuck on himself by suggesting that you can do nothing without him. He was stating the truth. You can't do anything without him. This truth does not mean you get a a big gulp at salvation and you don't need him any longer. Along with that big gulp that we got at salvation, we need his daily wisdom and we need his daily interaction as we change progressively into his image. The two most important ways this will happen are through daily prayer and Bible study. And that's why when I summed it all up for my pastor, answering his questions, hey, Rick, what did you learn after all of that training, going through all of that education? I kind of sheepishly, I was a bit embarrassed to say this, but I said, after going through four years of training, the two things that I walked away with is that it is critical that I read my Bible every day, and that I pray every day. Sometimes a wife will tell me that she, she thought something was amiss with her husband, but could not put her finger on it. There are other times when a husband will share with me a similar story about his wife. It should not be a mystery to figure out a spouse or a friend. A quick way to assess the actual spiritual condition of someone is to have him describe to you their prayer life as well as their daily Bible consumption. What I would want to tell this spouse or what I would want to tell this uh, this wife or, and what I would want to tell this husband is, well, let's just backtrack a little bit. Let's look in the rearview mirror. Give me your historical understanding of his or her time in the Bible and time spent with God. Now, when they think about that, they say, well, uh, he, really doesn't, he, he really didn't have a relationship with the Lord as measured by those two things, those two indicators. Therefore, maybe I shouldn't be surprised that things went to where they went to in our marriage. It should not be a mystery. Ask them to give you the details of their time with God in His Word. Doing things like ministry or family time or general busyness does not make you spiritual. Those activities should be born out of your spirituality, not your self-reliant will to accomplish stuff. It can be easy to assume a person is doing well by the things that you see them doing. But this myopic assessment is not only a dangerous assumption, but it's a legalistic way of assessing someone's life. You must not make a person's works the measuring stick of a person's spirituality. Leading a Bible study, working on a church staff, pastoring of all things, or facilitating a small group. None of these things make a person close to God. None of these things is what gives individuals spiritual strength, wisdom, and character. Our spirituality comes from God, and the things you do flow out of your time with God and His Word. You don't do it in an inverted order. You don't do busy things, even Christian things, and you become more spiritual. Your spirituality comes from God, from abiding in Him because we can do nothing without Him. 
I want to give you a list of questions that I want you to ask yourself. You're welcome to use these questions to talk to your spouse or talk to your friends. It would be fantastic for you to share these questions in a small group. I would love for you to do that at your next small group meeting. Take this short list of questions and just throw them out there and begin to get responses from the people in your group. But more importantly, if a husband and a wife could do this, this would be fantastic because your answers to what I'm going to ask you will give you a better diagnosis of your soul condition than the things that you do. Now, caveat. If you're struggling with any of the problems that I'm going to present to you by my questions, then I want you to reflect on the quality of your prayer time. I want you to reflect on the quality of your Bible time with God. All right, so here's the questions that I want to ask you. Are there character flaws in your life? Number two, are you tempted to sin when you are around some people, certain people, specific people? Three, are you prone to grumble more than rejoicing? Four, are you willing to trust God regardless of the circumstances in your life? Five, are you characterized more by fear than faith? Number six, is there something you're more passionate about than God? Number seven, do you have an affinity for God's word Number eight, do you look forward to engaging God in prayer? And finally, number nine, are you content with your thorn in the flesh, whatever it may be? Now, if a person is struggling in any of these areas that these questions reveal, then it's imperative that you make an assessment of their prayer life and you make an assessment of their Bible time. More than likely, the struggler has a breakdown in his relationship with God, which you will discern by their lack of time spent with him. This initial assessment must be the first place you begin your soul care endeavors. The initial assessment is time spent with God in prayer, time spent with God in the Bible. This has to be the first place that you begin your soul care endeavors. Let's go back to a few of my questions again. If a person is prone to grumble more than rejoicing, the counselor's temptation will be to try to resolve the grumbling problem that's going on in their life. Well, you want to do that, but your initial assessment must be, well, talk to me, how much time are you spending with God? How much time are you spending studying God's Word? And let's get inside of that and tell me uh, the nature of your prayer time and, and what you're learning through God's Word. That's why I say your initial assessment must be the first place when you begin your soul care endeavors, this assessment about prayer time and Bible time. All right, let's take another one here. Are you characterized more by fear than faith? Now, again, the discipler will want to jump on this and, and start addressing the faith and fear issues but then you get underneath that and you find out that they're not spending any time or virtually no time with God in prayer and that their Bible study is virtually non-existent. You're not going to be able to help them in a long-term sustainable way. Now, I have an article here in this 
article that I'm reading to that I'm sharing with you right now. And the title of the article that I have embedded here is Eight Ways to an Effective Prayer Life. I want to give you a portion of that article here to talk about prayer time, and then I want to talk about Bible reading. The two most important things that you can be doing with your life, prayer and reading the Bible. Now, there are four kinds of prayers. This is, I got this from somewhere, and I don't remember where, but I've taken it and I've adapted it, and I want to share these things with you. And I would just want to give you four types of prayers that you can start praying, and four ways to think about engaging God in your prayer life. Each one of these can be described in a word. Let me give you these four words for these four types of prayers. Wow, help, thanks, and please. Wow, help, thanks, and please. Now think through how you can implement all four of these types of prayers into your life. Let me give you some illustrations. Wow, it can be like this. Wow, dear Lord, you are amazing. Wow type praying is when you are overwhelmed at the bigness, greatness, and all-powerfulness of the Lord. When the finite tries to wrap his brain around the infinite, all he can do is prostrate himself on the ground in stunned amazement. You want to have wow type praying, and you can read many of the Psalms, and it will get you there quickly. And then the second one is help. A sentence could sound like this, help me, dear Lord, I need you. This type of praying gets at the heart of your needs. You are in that place again where you need help and know the only person who can help is God Almighty. So you ask him to impose himself into your life and your situation. Wow, you're overwhelmed by the bigness of God. Help, you're asking God to help you personally. Thanks, here's a sentence. Thanks, Lord, you are so kind to me. These are your gratitude prayers, critical praying. This one should be rolling off your tongue every waking hour. There is never enough time in the day to thank the Lord for all you have experienced from Him through your five senses. Gratitude praying should be the most frequent praying that you do. And quite honestly, we can be a lack of gratitude people. And it's one of the things that you will see over and over again with people that you're helping is that they are weak in their gratitude. And so we have wow, help, thanks, and then finally, please. Please help my friend. One of the highest honors you can bestow on a friend is to take their needs to the king of the universe. This kind of praying is Christ-like, as it imitates the one who intercedes for you. Whether it is in structured times or spontaneous moments, praying for others is a gracious gift to your friends and a sweet aroma before the Lord. Two of the most important things that you will ever learn in your Christian walk to pray every day, and to read your Bible every day. The title of this podcast is The Simplest Counseling Advice You'll Ever Receive, and I just gave it to you. And I was talking about the first part of that, prayer, as I shared with you four types of praying that I hope you will implement, if you are not already, into your life. Now, the second thing is Bible reading. 
when I talk about Bible reading, I'm not talking about Bible reading for the sake of Bible reading. I'm talking about transformational Bible reading. This perspective is the kind of Bible reading that presses into your soul and changes you. Transformational. My Bible reading, my personal Bible reading changes all the time. I, I listen to the Bible in a year. I do that through audio. I've done that sometimes. I've read the Bible in a year as well. I've read the Bible several, several times in a month. I also like studying passages out of the Bible. And of course, I like memorizing scriptures as well. Reading the Bible every day can build discipline, but you still have the, you still have the Acts 31 problem. How can I understand if someone does not help me? You remember what the man told Philip as he invited Philip up into his chariot when Philip was asking him, do you understand what you're reading? Well, he had Isaiah 53 opened in his lap, and he said, how can I unless somebody guides me? Now, this is why I say you have to do more than just read the Bible. It has to be transformative. You're not notching your belt to say you got your 4.25 chapters read today. Now, one of the ways that I work God's Word into my soul is through journaling. That's what I do. You probably can't do that. I don't know. It may not be your thing. You have to figure out what your thing is. You have to figure out your way of, of inculcating God's Word into your life. For me, the process of writing has helped me more than anything else as far as applying God's Word to my life. The discipline is part of what I mean by transformative Bible reading. Now, if you're not practically applying the Word of God to your life, you're only filling your head with knowledge, and Satan is an excellent Bible student, but his personal application the Bible stinks. There are way too many Christians who have filled their heads with Bible knowledge, but they do not know how to live it out in practical ways. Now, a podcast like this can cause some people to think of legalism. And that is not what I want you to take away from this podcast, because that is not in the orbit of my thoughts. But some people who have come from legalistic backgrounds recoil when you begin talking about daily and disciplined Bible reading and prayer. These Christians have only one worldview for doing religious things, and that worldview is legalism. What they don't understand is grace-motivated obedience— just because you walk away from legalism doesn't mean you walk away from obedience or you stop being holy. The legalist perspective is understandable because grace is always the antagonist of legalism, and they've never have had grace-motivated people in their lives. Let me give you a few illustrations of, of how they think and then how the grace-centered person will think. Legalism says, I obey to please God. Grace says, I obey because he is already pleased with me. Legalism says, I obey to earn his favor. Grace says, I obey because of his favor. Legalism says, I work out of duty. Grace says, I work out of joy. Legalism says, I must not miss my divine appointments or God will be upset with me. Grace says, if I do miss my divine appointments, it does not alter the Father's affection for me because of Christ's work on my behalf. Legalism says, I have to obey God. Grace says, I want to obey God. 
This simple, the simplest advice that I could ever give you is to read your Bible every day and to pray every day. It doesn't come out of a heart of legalism. It comes out of a heart of joy because of what God has done for you. And the benefit is, is that it gives you the sustenance that will help you to transform. Do not neglect the importance of prayer and Bible study. If for those of you who do discipling, those of you who counsel a lot of people, I would appeal to you to think about this. Start keeping notes on the number of people you help who come to you who are not consistent in these two essential disciplines. If you don't believe me now, you will after you make the comparison between those who are consistent in Bible study and prayer and those who are not. Helping strugglers can be an excellent opportunity for giving advice to them, counsel, biblical counseling, but counseling is not what changes a person. God does this. And if a person does not make time with God through Bible reading and through prayer, a cherished priority, your counsel will not have long-term transformative impact on their lives. You want to know you want to be that intrusive in their lives because if they are not going to spend time with God, if they are not going to spend time reading God's word, then you're going to have a minimal effect on them and it is possible that you will become frustrated with them. Read the article on the website, The Simplest Counseling Advice You Will Ever Receive. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.